We're opening up our Bibles, and we are looking into the Word of God, asking Him to change our lives. And I know what's happened with so many people as the, as the semester's getting started. You guys have all these professors telling you of the things that you're supposed to be learning, and you're feeling like, my, my brain is already full, and I don't think I can fit anything else in there. But tonight, we want something supernatural to happen, not just in our brains, but in our hearts. We want the Lord to speak to us. So just be honest with me. Actually, let me close your eyes a second. Well, not yet. But this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And this is what you're going to do. On the scale of, of zero to five, you're going to tell me how bad you want to study the Word of God tonight, okay? Okay, so everybody close your eyes and put up uh, some fingers. Okay, close your eyes. You've got to close your eyes. Otherwise, some people are going to be scared to put up their hands. Okay. If you don't raise your hand, that means zero, and you may as well leave. Okay? Okay. Okay, good. Okay, you guys can open your eyes and put your hands down. Most of you put, put five fingers up. Some of you were honest and were like one, or you were some of you were trying to make half, like .5 and stuff. But, but I think that most of you want to hear from the Lord tonight, and most of you do want to open the Word of God and have Him speak to us. But as I always say, what happens here tonight has a lot more to do with the receptiveness of your heart than it does to do with how well I can present the Word of God, Okay. So if, if you don't get anything out of the next 30 minutes or so, then my hope is that it's not my fault. <laughs> okay? My hope is it's because you, you weren't seeking. Remember that Jesus says that if you ask, you receive. If you seek, you find. If you knock, the door will be open. Matthew 7. Matthew 7. You, you guys remember this? And if you don't ask and you don't seek and you don't knock, then you don't get James says you have not be there's um, you have not because you ask not. Okay, so we're asking. So let's stand up and we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Spirit of God to speak to us right now and change our lives. Father, would it be that that you'd move in our hearts right now? That even some of us who were honest, who were, who were didn't didn't feel like we wanted to hear from you truthfully. Lord, would you just move in our hearts? Because so many of us want to want to hear from you even though our, our hearts are tired and our minds are tired. And so, Lord, would you speak? You promised that if we come together in your name that you'd be here in our midst. And so we know that you, Holy Spirit, are here in our midst, in, in this room with us right now. And so would you move us closer to you? Would you do a supernatural work in the hearts and minds of the people who are here tonight and change their lives because, because of what you are teaching us? Speak through me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, I just want to remind you guys of where we're, we've been and kind of where we're going. We've been doing this study of the book of Luke for a long, long time. Was anybody here when we started, like how long ago, studying the book of Luke? I mean, we've been going through it for a long time, but I've, I tell you, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about Jesus, and I've learned to love Jesus more through the things that I found out about him. So the goal tonight, again, is not to just learn about him. The goal is to love him, to know him, to be intimate with him, to invite his spirit into our lives. So what we've been doing as we've gone going through the book of Luke is Jesus um, he's, he's establishing his kingdom on this planet. You guys remember back in the beginning, God had a plan for this planet, and so he made humans who would rule this planet, and what did the, the humans do? They totally messed it up. They totally went their own way and handed the title deed to the planet over to the devil. And so what God did in his sovereign design, he becomes a human. He enters into time and space and becomes a human as Jesus Stepping into our world, and he does it because he has a plan to take back for himself the right to this planet. And so he's, the way he does it is not like any other conqueror, any other victorious warrior. Instead, he does it by just gathering a few people together. And he starts to teach them. 
and he entrusts these men that he is teaching with the task of establishing his kingdom on this planet. And they tell people who tell other people who tell other people who finally tell people like Timothy and Shawn Michael. <laughs> what a cool deal. And the story is not over. This kingdom, the establishment of his kingdom is not yet complete, but we're working on it. And I'm giving everything that I have, my whole life, my life, my time, my energy, my money, not one penny do I want to spend on anything that doesn't help bring his kingdom. Because Jesus promised that he's coming back when it's all done. He's coming back. Jesus is returned. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. So where we are in this story of the life of Jesus, this account by Dr. Luke is in chapter 22. Luke 22, starting in verse 7. And this is the night before he is put to death. So he's about to be put to death. He's going to rise a few days later. He's going to stick around teaching his, his followers, his students, for about 40 more days. And then he's going to step off of this planet, out of our time and out of our space. And he's going to entrust the building of the kingdom to his people. That's, what, that's where we're headed. So the night before he's put to death, verse 7 of Luke 22, this is what it says. Then came the day of unleavened bread. And I want you guys to remember when we talked about a month and a half ago about all these, these festivals of the Jewish people. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a feast, a seven-day festival that followed the day after the death of the Passover lamb. They killed the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month of the year. And then for the next seven days, the Israelites, the Jewish people, back then and even still today, they don't eat any bread for those seven days with leaven in it. Does anybody know what leaven is? Tell us what, what the word is that we use for leaven. Yeast. Yeast. Okay, I don't know why. I don't know how it got changed from leaven to yeast. But anyway, I guess the feast of unleavened, or unyeasted bread. Okay? The feast of unyeasted bread. I guess unleavened is easier to say. So the idea here is that yeast in the Old Testament, the yeast of the Bible represents What's a picture of? Sin. So this idea of, of eating bread without yeast is a picture of the of dedication to the purity that God desires for his people. A total commitment, total giving ourselves over to him. And to represent that, they go for seven days, one week, without eating yeast. So verse 7 again. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So I want you guys to remember what this is about, about the Passover lamb. What, just let me ask you guys this as you think about the Passover lamb. What is, according to the Bible, what is the rightful punishment for the things that you guys have done wrong? Death. Death. And death is, death, ultimate death is a, a cutting off, a separation from the author of life. It's not just physical death, but a death that is eternal. And so what we find out in the Bible, in the history of this whole idea of Passover and the killing of the Passover lamb, is that 1,500 years before Jesus, there is a, a group of Israelites. The Israelites are slaves in Egypt, and the Egyptians are standing under their, their king, under their pharaoh, against God. And so God does sends them all kinds of punishment, punishment after punishment upon the Egyptians in a variety of ways, but the ultimate punishment that he sends them is the death of the firstborn son. Because of their rebellion, because they've stood in rebellion against God, he sends them this angel of death that puts to, to death every firstborn son in every home on a certain night, on the night that he ends up calling Passover. 
But he said, he taught the Israelites, he taught the people that that death, that withdrawing of life, really, the withdrawing of the life that God had given, that withdrawing of life could be avoided by in place of the firstborn son in every home, that they took a lamb and killed that lamb and took the blood of that lamb in faith, in fa faith that, that, that the blood of that lamb would save them, and they put it on the door frames of the house as a, as a statement of their trust that there was a substitutionary payment for the sin of the people in that home. And so what happened that, that night is that the people who, who had faith in this <coughs> proclamation by God, they put the blood on, the, on their doors, and the result is that, there's, that nobody dies in their homes. But everybody who doesn't put the, death, the, the blood on the doors, they face death. Not because God is mean, but because that's what they rightfully deserve because of the things that they've done wrong. And so as the, the death moves through, as this angel of death moves through Egypt, he passes over those homes that have the blood of the lamb on their door. So the name of this festival is Passover. It's like skipping over, like, not, like not pouring out the punishment that is deserved because of the blood of the lamb. And so from that time on, for, from that time on until the time of Jesus, all the way until now, the Jews have participated in this Passover celebration. Passover, killing of the lamb, and seven days of eating nothing but um, un unbread without yeast. And so, and guys, as you think about this, we don't really understand this because we're not, we're not culturally Jewish, right? We read about stuff in the Bible and we kind of learn about it. But for the Jewish people, Passover is like the equivalent of Christmas for you guys, right? I mean, what do you guys do at Christmas? It's like you got the parties, you got the candles, you got the music, you got the food, you got the family coming together, right? And so this is big party time for the Jews. Same kind of thing. It doesn't just last one day, right? Well, we do Christmas one day, but some of you guys do like the 12 days of Christmas or something. Have you seen the song, Josh? Okay, never mind. Um, so they got seven days of this. And what's the question that everybody asks? Oh, today's the 25th of January, right? So it was a month ago that we celebrated Christmas. But you started getting ready for Christmas long before January, uh, December 25th, right? And what was the question that all your friends at school were asking you on the last days of finals? How'd you do on finals? What are you doing over winter break? And what are you doing for Christmas? Right? Isn't that what everybody asks? So what's your, what's your plans for Christmas? It's like, oh, Aunt Susie's coming over, and we're going to have a turkey, and we're going to kill, or whatever it is. Okay. I mean, I mean, you guys got all these plans, right? Isn't that the thing? It's like you got plans. And if you don't have plans, if, if we ask, if we ask, do young, what are you doing for Christmas? He said, I'm not doing nothing. I'm do young. I mean, then you're like, well, man, what's wrong with that guy? Um, I mean, everybody's expected to do something for Christmas, right? I mean, and you kind of think, what's, what's wrong if not? So here's what I want you guys to get. Here it is. What day is it that we're reading about here? Passover. Passover is like hours before the Feast of Unleavened Bread starts. And so what's everybody asking Jesus and the disciples? What are you doing for the holidays? What's the plan? And if you guys notice here, every, prob probably everybody else in Israel has got a plan for what they're doing for the Passover and Unleavened Bread holiday. But at this point, the disciples don't know what it is. They don't know what it is. But Jesus knows. Jesus has a plan, but he hasn't told the disciples. Jesus has a plan of what he's going to do for the holidays, and what's his plan? What's his plan for this holiday? His plan is to die. His plan is that this is one day away from his death, and his disciples are still going, 
I don't know. What's the plan? And he hasn't really explained to them what is going to happen. He's been telling them all along that they're going to Jerusalem. He's going to die. And they're like, no, not really. You're being figurative. You're not really dying, Jesus, right? Right? Isn't that the kind of conversations he's been having with his disciples? So his plan is to die and that his death would pay for the sins of all people. That all that celebration that they've been doing for 1,500 years of killing the Passover lamb on this day every year and putting... They're remembering the time when they put that blood on the, the door frame so that the angel of death would pass over them and they would not have to face death. That Jesus is about to tell them on this night that what happens tomorrow when he dies is the fulfillment of what had happened for 1,500 years as they did as they killed this Passover lamb. That he's the one. So he's planning to die the next day, but he has something planned for that night where he's going to get his friends, his precious friends who he loves and he's going to gather them together and he's really going to explain to them what's going on he's going to explain to them that night what passover means what his death has to do with the passover lamb um, in, in egypt 1500 years ago and what the plan from here on out is for the world and so that night that's what he's going to do but they don't even have a place yet I and mean, they need to book a hotel room and understand that at Passover time, there's 100,000 people coming from all over the place to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So it's every, every hotel's got no vacancy written out there. And there's people camping all over the Mount of Olives, all the way over to Bethany. There's people are just swarming all over because they've come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. But Jesus has got a plan. He's got a plan, and the disciples don't have any idea what it is. Now, here's what I want you guys to think about. You guys might not be thinking about what you're doing for the holiday next Christmas, because that's still a long way off. But what's even longer off is the rest of your lives. And yet that's something that everybody keeps asking you, like, hey, what are you, what are you guys majoring in? And some of you know, and some of you are like, don't ask me that question. I don't know what the rest of my life is going to look like. I don't got the plan. Or, so what do you really want to do? I mean, if your parents ever sit you down and are like, okay, now, you're, you're, you're becoming an adult. What is it you want to do with your life? You're just like, please, I don't know. I mean, some of you guys know. Some of you guys got a plan. But some of you don't know what you're doing. I remember what that was like. I remember thinking, I'm just trying to get gas in my car and enough money to buy a ham sandwich before the end of the day so I don't starve. Um, but he, here's the deal. God had a plan for the disciples of how they were going to spend this Passover, and God's got a plan for you. Now, we're going to put this together in a second. So the first thing I want you guys to write down, if you're taking notes, write this down. First thing is, Jesus has a plan. Jesus had a plan for Passover, and he's got a plan for you. And Jesus' plan for Passover, and Jesus' plan for you, you're going to find out, is the same kind of plan. His plan is to use that Passover for the redemption of the world, and God's plan for you is to use your life for the redemption of the world. You guys, how, how many days you guys got left? Okay, you don't know. That's like one of those questions. Like, don't ask me. How am I supposed to know that? Okay. You guys got a bunch of days left in God's plan. Just like that day, that holiday, that feast of unleavened bread week, that God has a plan to use your weeks, your days, for the purpose of redeeming the world himself. Okay? So that's the first thing that I want you guys to write down. God has a plan for my life. Second thing that I want you guys to write down is from verse 8. Look at verse 8. Jesus sent Peter and John, P and J, 
saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. So Jesus got a plan. But here's what I want you guys to get. The carrying out of his plan to bring redemption to the world and, and getting people to understand what that redemption looks like is dependent on them getting together that night together and celebrating the Passover and him explaining to them what it's all about because they haven't got it yet. They haven't understood yet. And so they got to get a room. Jesus got a plan about how they're going to get a room. So he says, hey, guys, go make preparations for the Passover. And they're like, okay. And he's going to tell them how to do that here in a second. But here's, here's what I want you guys to get. Just like Peter and John, the, 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 what's going to happen that night, this explanation by Jesus of what the Passover is all about, and about his death and about redemption for the world, is dependent on Peter and John making the preparations. Jesus is about to pay for the sins of all humanity on the cross. And his plan is he's going to get them together and he's going to explain all that to him. So they're like, okay, you guys go make preparations so that tonight I can explain to you, I can, I can explain to you the gospel. That's what he's going to explain to them that night. After all this time, he's really going to share with them the truth of his, what his death means. And you think back and you think, if it was that important, why didn't Jesus do it himself? I mean, why didn't Jesus go make the preparations? You know why? Because God in his sovereignty, that's his strategy. God's strategy is to take the, the, the rulership, the determination of how the future events of this world play out and say, Shakita, it's all yours. Go make the preparations. And, of course, Peter and John, I don't think they understood the, the importance of what they're about to do. But Jesus sends them on a mission to do something that seems that's just about getting a place for them. That's the way God does his work. Now, here's, here's what I want you to get. There's a theology out there that says God doesn't need you. And in some ways, that's true. Does God need you to exist? No. I mean, it's... God would be full of joy and wisdom and power and omnipresence regardless of whether Steve Hedlund was ever alive or not, right? So he doesn't need me in that way. But the way that God uses, gets his work done in this planet is through people like Shakita and I mean, and Steve, all of you guys. That's God's strategy. It was God's strategy from the beginning. Remember Genesis 1.26, he makes, he's, he makes humankind in his own image. And what does he tell them to do? He's like, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds there. In other words, your, the choices that you guys make determine how the world turns out. And just like it was for them, just like it was for P&J here, just like it's the same way for you guys. The choices that you make and the preparation that you do for the Passover feast determines how the world turns out. Jesus doesn't just give Peter and John a responsibility to go make preparations for the Passover. He's given you guys the authority, the responsibility to make preparations for the Passover feast. And you're like, well, I don't think that's happening anymore. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. God has a plan to use your life to prepare the way for the king. Okay. Third thing I want you guys to write down is from verses 9 through 13. So he's like, go, go, go prepare for the feast. And they're like, come on, we don't even got an open hotel room. What are we supposed to do? And so he tells them, they ask him, where do you want us to prepare it? They ask, verse 10, 
He says, okay, you guys enter the city. This is what you're going to do. You're going to go up over the Mount of Olives. Remember, they're in Bethany. So they got to go up over the mountain, Mount of Olives. And then they look down in Jerusalem. They go way down to the Kidron Valley. They come up into Jerusalem. And as you enter into the city, you're going to meet a guy carrying a jar of water. Now, you follow him to the house where he enters, okay? Let's stalk this guy for a little bit. Um, and say to the owner of the house, knock on the door and say to the owner of the house, um, the teacher says, where is the guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. It's a little awkward. He will show you a large upper room, all furnished, make preparations there. Now, this takes a bunch of faith. Because, you know, it's a little, imagine you guys walking up and saying, like, hey, here I am. Oh, show me my room. And uh, they do it, and they find things. Look at verse 13. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. Now, here's the third thing that I want you guys to write down, is that obedience to Jesus' command. They had to be obedient to Jesus' command, right? They had to do what he said. It wasn't going to happen. The preparations weren't going to happen just because they are like, well, Jesus is in charge, and we trust him, so let's pray. Jesus, we want your will to be done. Would you have your will done? And please prepare the room for us. Jesus told them to do it. There, guys, there's a time for us to pray. We should be praying every day. We got a house of prayer. We got a, a, a prayer room here. We got the house of prayer at Grace. And I just, and I just want to ask you guys to be praying every day, in in groups and on your own, because prayer matters. But don't let prayer be an excuse for you not to do the thing that Jesus has told you to do. Okay? So they go and they do what Jesus says. And he, so here's what I want you guys to write down: Obedience to Jesus' command brings about two results. First of all, the first result. Of, G- of obedience to Jesus' command is that it brings Jesus into the home of a person who otherwise would not have Jesus in that home. You guys understand? He says, go into the city, find a guy with a jar of water, follow that guy until he goes to the house, do this thing. And because they obey, Jesus gets to be in that home. That home gets to have Jesus there. In fact, that home, Jesus has a plan for that home. Just like Jesus got a plan for your home. Jesus got a plan for your home. He's planning to do something in your home like he did in this home. Do you guys know what happened in this home? I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, who was the guy with the water? Who was the person who owned this home? They weren't all any more significant than I am. But God had a plan for that home because he planned to do something at home that was amazing. Because what happens at home? First of all, that night they, sp- they do the Passover celebration there together. And then a few days later, after Jesus put, put death and those disciples are hiding out, scared to death, Jesus shows up and appears to them in that room. And they stay in that room, and they keep using that room as a headquarters, and they start a church there, and pretty soon, that's, that's the room where the Holy Spirit falls upon them in Acts 2, and the church is ex- explodes. God had a plan for that room. And because these guys obeyed, Jesus lived in that house. Jesus came and set up headquarters for the church, the first church in that home, because these guys obeyed. What if they hadn't obeyed? What if they just prayed? They obeyed. Okay, so the first thing that happens because they obey Jesus' commands is that they get that, that, that home, this place where Jesus lives, that Jesus reigns. Okay, the second thing that happens because they obey Jesus' commands is that it provides a place for the disciples to sleep. It provides for them. This is what I want you guys to get, is that if you guys will obey Jesus' commands to do what he's telling you to do, as awkward as it might be, you know what, God's going to use that to make your life work. I know you're trying to figure out how to make your life work. And like I said last week, the guy I was in Hawaii with before, the last, last week, several days before I got back, I was like, hey, you're not smart enough to make your life work. 
You guys, I'll say once again, are not smart enough to make your life work, but if you obey Jesus' commands, he provides for those he loves. He provides for them. might not be the way that you thought he was going to, but he'll provide for you. And I know that for sure. And you guys, just think, think about the awkwardness of Peter and John going to do this thing, like meet this guy, like, hey, man, what's up? Shalom. And um, he's getting this jar, and he's like, hey, can we follow you? Yeah, come on. But who are you guys? And then knocking on the door and saying, hey, you know, give me my room. And I, I was thinking, is there anything is there anything like that that I've ever been ex- ex- experienced? And I thought, yeah, that's right. It's a part of my story that I don't think I told last week. But 21 years ago, we came to Grace Community Church, and, you know, I snuck in the door. I was like, please, nobody notice me. I said, that's what some of you guys are doing here tonight, right? I wouldn't say any names, but it's like, I'd like to come, but I just don't want to be noticed because you might make me do something I don't want to do or embarrass me. I already embarrassed uh, Inez and Rita and, and Isaac, sorry. Um, that's why I felt. Came into Grace, and yet that first day I know God was doing something there. So we're at Grace for two, three weeks, and one day I tell Ruth, um, I say, I'm going down to Grace Community Church. And she's like, why? The Lord had prompted me to go down there. So I walk in there, and I do kind of this thing. I wasn't thinking of this scripture at all. I didn't th- actually make the connection until today. But I walk in, walk into the office, and um, the secretary looks up and says, yes, may I help you? And I said, um, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And she's like, um, uh, what do you mean? I said, give me my job. And she said, we're not hiring. I said, I'm not looking for any money. I'm not looking for that kind of a job. I just know that we gotta, we're trying to build a kingdom, and this seems like a pretty cool church, and I'm, tell me what my, I'm supposed to do. She's like, she, she calls um, Don Beecham, and she's, she, she gets him on the phone, and she's like, there's a homeless guy out here, and, um, and I think um, you better come and talk to him. So he comes and talks to me. I wasn't trying to be a pastor. I was simply obeying the prompting of the Holy Spirit in my life to go down to Grace Community Church and say, give me my job. That's what the Lord prompted me to say. And that's what I said, and I'm a pastor now. I, tr- I resisted it. I tried not to be a pastor, but God had a calling in my life. My point, guys, is that God is going to put you in some situations to do certain things that feel a little bit awkward. And the question is, are you going to obey or not? And if you obey, he opens the door for you. And some people are going to think, who is that weirdo, fo- weirdo following me? And who is that weirdo knocking on the door asking for a place to, to have a Passover party? That does not make sense. But you know what? If God's called you to do it, then you obey. You obey. Okay. Anybody have any ideas who the guy with the water jug was? Who? I don't have any idea, but if you can figure it out for me, you get extra credit. Okay, who was the owner of the home? Now, I think that's a little bit, there's a little more hints to that in the scriptures. So if you guys can get, get extra credit for that too. See if you guys can figure it out. We won't talk about it now. But, he, but, but what about the water? What's the deal with the guy with the jug? Is there any significance to the guy with the jug of water on his shoulder? Sometimes, sometimes, I mean, you know, I grew up in a place where every morning we were at the pump. Every morning. My job, from the minute that it got light, I was at the pump, pumping water. Because that's where I grew up. We didn't have electricity or running water where I grew up, okay? So we were at the pump, and me and my friend had a pole between us. So we weren't women, but, um, but we weren't back then either. Um, what a relief. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm so, yeah, is there any significance to that? Is, there, is, is that right? Um, 
Well, let me ask you this. Is there any, is there any other hint anywhere in the scripture that, sh that tells what this water might have been being used for? Wash clothes. That's right. You got to wash clothes sometimes. Could be washing clothes. Washing feet. What happened with that water that night in that room? If you just read Luke, you don't get it. But if you flip over to John and read the, about the same account that night, something that Luke leaves out that Jesus washes his disciples' feet with water that this dude carried on his shoulder. And he teaches them a lesson that night about service. And where did that water come from? Same place that this water came from. And I don't know how many trips that poor guy had to make. And how did the owner of the house know that all these people were coming? And have to send that poor servant back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to the, to the well. That's way down the hill, by the way, if you've been in Jerusalem. It's a long way so that the, all those disciples could learn the lesson of service. Jesus is brilliant. <coughs> Jesus got this figured out ahead of time. So, water for the washing of the feet. Okay, let's look at verse 14. Verse 14 when the hour came, what hour? Not happy hour. <laughs> I won't tell you who said that. Um, okay, it wasn't happy hour. When the hour came, it's, it's, it's when the party started, this is talking about. It's, it's time now for the Passover celebration to begin. This Passover meal, this Seder meal, the Seder meal is the word that, that Jews use now. The meal starts, and that ushers in the seven-day seven long Feast of Unleavened Bread. So when this time came, the, the, the ceremony for this party is about to start, and Jesus is the one who's leading the, the, par the party ceremony. Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. So what's the significance of them reclining at the table? How many of you guys ever ate sleep laying down? Well, maybe, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you, sometimes you guys eat laying down, but they're, they're, they're reclining. And, um, and I've heard people say, oh, yeah, that's just how people ate back then. But here's what I want you guys to get. There's, there's four questions that Jewish people nowadays ask each other when they do the Seder meal. And one of those questions is, why is it on other nights we sit when we eat, but on this night we recline? This is something Jews still ask themselves today, right, Will? So, and the answer is, do you know what the answer is? Here's, here's how, the answer is, we recline because the, it's, it's a symbol of freedom. Slaves, remember they were slaves in Egypt. This is a, this is a celebration of their being, becoming free. And the, when they were in slavery in Egypt, the, the rich people that they're working for reclined. Well, they served them. And so this whole idea of them reclining was something that Jewish people did. It was culture, cultural, kind of like having a turkey at Thanksgiving. It's like on this night, we recline as we eat. So that's significant. I think that's interesting. Jesus and his disciples are reclining there demonstrating physically that they are free from the bondage of slavery. So verse 15, and he said to them, so here you get a picture of Jesus' personality. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I want to ask you guys, if you could celebrate Christmas with anybody, who would you celebrate it with? I love it. So would I. Okay, besides Jesus, let me just take this. Next Christmas, you guys got to spend Christmas with your families or whoever this Christmas. Next Christmas, who do you want? Tell, tell me the name of the, of the people that you'd like to spend Christmas with. Go. Mom and dad. Sisters. Okay. I mean, just think about Think about what it's like. And 
yeah, it's too far away from Christmas. I don't even think about it. It's like, I'm so glad it's over. But oh. it, when, it, when Thanksgiving's over and you're setting up the tree and you're thinking about what Christmas is, you're thinking, what are our plans? What are we going to do? And you're thinking about the people that you want to spend Christmas with. You know who Jesus wants to spend the holiday with? You, his friends. It's like, he's like, I am so excited. We are together for this feast. We're together. We're doing this thing together. You just get a sense of how Jesus feels about these people. Is that cool or what? He's like, I have been so excited, my friends, to have Passover with you guys. For I tell you, verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it again. Until, take your pen and circle that word until, until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Okay, check this out. What's Jesus saying? Jesus says, this is my last Passover, and we always talk about this as the last supper, but it's the last supper until what? Until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Okay. That's right. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is, my, this is my last Passover celebration for a while. When does the kingdom of God start? He says, until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. When does, when does that start? I've got to look at the time. How much time I got here, you guys? Oh, we're still doing okay. Okay. When does the kingdom of God start? Exactly. Some of you guys think, the kingdom of God is something that's still way in the future. It's like when we all go to heaven. Remember Jesus prays that his kingdom will come to earth? Remember? Kingdom of God is coming to earth. Kingdom of God ha has come to earth. Remember Jesus' message as he's preaching is not come forward and say a prayer. Although that, that, that's good. His message is repent because the kingdom of God is near. He's like, guess what? There's a new king, and I'm the king. Come and be a part of my kingdom. And that doesn't get established until he pays the price for humanity at the cross. And that's really near at this point when he's talking. The next day he dies, and the transfer of the right to humanity is transferred from the devil back to God. Remember, I mean, if you could divide history into in half, this... Not time-wise, but importance-wise, or, or who owns the world-wise. You divide it at this point, the death of Jesus. Because everything before that, the devil had a right to humanity. Everything after that, Jesus has a right to humanity. Jesus has a right to all people. Jesus paid for all people. Some people reject it and they're like, I don't need you, Jesus. I'm going my own way. Leave me alone. And those people aren't forced. But Jesus paid for the lives of all people with his blood on the cross. So when Jesus says here, I tell you, I'm not going to eat this Passover again until it, fi until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And, and I'm, lo I'm looking at this thinking, well, that's the next day. Does Jesus participate in another Passover the next day? No. Nope. When does he participate in the next Passover? Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Thank you. Did, did you say that, Baylor? Oh, well, I gave you credit anyway. Okay. I thought it said like Miles. Okay, I give Miles credit. Okay, marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a there's a feast coming that you guys are invited to, and Jesus is going to say the same thing to all of us that He said to the disciples. I have eagerly, I've been looking forward to this day 
so much. And we're going to go, yeah! I mean, think about the celebration. Just let the party begin. The party will begin. And Jesus says, this is my last supper until I got everybody there who's going to be there. That celebration is coming. And that celebration is talked about in Isaiah 25. I want you guys to see it. Isaiah 25. Jesus, the, Isaiah foretells what's going to happen. Isaiah 25, verse 6, on this mountain. What mountain? What mountain, guys? Huh? On the, Jesus, God says, on this mountain, the Lord will prepare a feast of rich food for all people. What mountain is he talking about? Zion. Thank you. There's a part. That, that, where, did the, where did the party have to happen this time when Jesus is celebrating his, his Passover? In Jerusalem. For thousands of years, the Jews have said, next year in Jerusalem. Right? Isn't that what they say at the end of the Passover meal? It's next year in Jerusalem. Well, then that's, that's coming. On that mountain, the Lord will prepare a feast of rich foods for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wine. Sounds like a great meal. And on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. That part's done. This is then and f this is past and future. Okay, the, the shroud that destroys, um, that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations, he will swallow death forever. That happened at the cross of Jesus. But the celebration is still coming. It's still coming. And guys, this is not imaginary. This is not like we all lose our bodies and float around like fairies in the, in, in the atmosphere. This is real people celebrating with good food, with Jesus, and the celebration will be a celebration of what Passover represented, which is the purchase of all people by the blood of the true lamb, Jesus himself. So Jesus sits there and he's like, I've been looking forward to this day so long. And then he grabs the cup and he says, Kapai, which is what we say in Japan at the, be at the beginning of the meal. Okay, so there's four cups in, in the, the Passover. Four cups, and Luke talks about two of them here. The first one is this cup of salvation. That's kind of like the start of the party. And Jesus holds it up, and he takes the cup, and he says, here's the cup. I'm passing around. You guys drink of it. All of you drink of it. For I tell you, I'm not going to drink of this again until the party happens in the fulfillment of the kingdom. So Jesus hasn't had any wine since that night. Maybe some of you shouldn't either. <laughs> um that's not law. That's just that, that, that I've had people tell me. I'm say I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna drink my wine when I get to, when, when I get to that party. That party's coming, guys. Okay. Then he takes the bread. Okay, so he, he's he's had a, he's had that cup. He's passed it around. Now he takes the bread. Verse 19. He gives thanks and he breaks it and gave it to them, saying, "This bread is my body, given for you." Do this in remembrance of me. And we all who have been in church were like, oh, yeah, we hear that all the time, every time we do communion. And we miss the cultural significance of what the Jews felt when they, when they um, did this. And the disciples, when he's doing this, this is something they've done all along. They've been breaking that bread every Passover for how many years? And Jesus comes along and he explains what's going on. Now, I want you to see a quick video. I think it's three minutes long of, uh, not even that long, of a rabbi doing the breaking of the bread. And in his mind, go to, go to play that. In this guy's mind, he doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. Welcome to the Passover Seder sponsored by the National Jewish Outreach Program. We reach the section of the Passover Seder known as Yachatz, which is the breaking of the matzah. We have the three matzahs in front of us representing the different types of 
people of Israel. There's the Kohen, the priests, the Levites, and the regular Israelites. And we take the middle matzah and we carefully break it as best as we possibly can in half. Let's see if we could do this. Oh my gosh. All right, we see which is the bigger section right here. And we put it into the Afikoman bag. This is the bag where we hide this last part of the Passover meal. We also hide it in order to keep the interest of the children who are gonna try to steal this and get prizes or rewards. Now, some Sephardic Jews have a very beautiful custom of taking a piece of matzah and putting you it over their right shoulders. You can stop right there, because that part you don't necessarily need to see, but here's what I want you guys to see, is that the Jews have been doing this for a long, long time, since they left Egypt. Most of them don't know why they're doing it. How many pieces of matzah were there? Three. three. And he had some explanation that some, some Jews give different explanations for why there's three, but the middle matzah, he took out and did what with it? He broke it. Let me just show you. Okay, so three matzahs, right? Three matzahs. He takes the middle one and he breaks it. I'm not a rabbi. He takes it. And what does he, what does he do with the, two, with the broken piece? What's that? Okay. Yeah, this part of it. And the other part, the other part, he's got one part that's broken, and he doesn't eat this. What does he do with it? He hides it. And what does he do with what? How does he hide it? In a bag. The, the it's it's got to go in a what kind of bag? A linen cloth. Just something familiar? He takes the part that's broken, he puts it in a linen cloth, and he hides it away. And if you ask, why do you do that? You know what the Jews say? So the kids can have something. So the, they say so the kids don't fall asleep during the ceremony. Because then that way they can look forward to something. And I want to show you more videos, but we don't have time, of kids like looking for the matzah. And it's all, they have all these songs about looking for the matzah and stuff. Without any idea what it's about. You know what it's about? Remember the holes in the matzah represent the, the wounds in Jesus, the broken body. Jesus explains at this on this night that the broken Bread represents his broken body, and then what happens to the other to the piece that they don't eat? Put it in a linen cloth and hide it away, representing his burial. His burial in linen, and for those people who seek, the kids who seek, what happens? They find him, and there's a reward. This is all about Jesus, but the Jews who don't know Jesus, they participate in this without an understanding of what it's really all about. And they're not only does it is there. Um, uh, uh, a finding of him from, uh, representing his resurrection from the grave, but this that rarely represented that there's a return of Jesus and the Jewish people finally find him. Okay? Is that significant or what? So that's what, Je as Jesus is there that night showing them that his body is the broken bread, that the, the broken bread represents his body, it's all pointing to him. It's all pointing to him. The blood, the cup represents his blood that is poured out for him. Let's read that, verse, verse 20. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. Everybody guys remember, we already took one cup, right? That was the kumpai cup. Like, you know, cheers, let's get the party started kind of cup. And now he takes another cup. This is a cup that the Jews call the cup of redemption. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
But the hand of him who is going to betray me is mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. Jesus had this planned out. Jesus knew that he was going to die. He knew where the house was, that an empty room. I don't know how the guy who owned the house knew, but Jesus had it planned out. Here's what I want you guys to get. Jesus planned for your life. And just like those guys are there at the door saying, hey, let us in so we can prepare the Passover, Revelation 3.20 says, Jesus says, you guys remember what Revelation 3.20 says? Check it out. I'm standing at the door and knocking. And if anybody will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into them and eat with them and have them eat with me. We're going to celebrate this party together. That's Jesus' invitation to you. So we're not doing communion tonight like we normally do. I passed that around. I don't want you guys to. That's, that's, that's matzah bread. You guys are welcome to eat that. Welcome to eat what's up here. But, but we do do communion um, at, at Grace Community Church every week. Other churches do it at different times. But, guys, this is what I, I want to have meaning for you, that when you take that bread, what you're saying is, you know what broke Jesus' body? You know what caused him to pain? It was you. It was me. It was our selfish sin that put him on the cross. And as we take that, we're saying, Jesus, I understand that the, the punishment that I deserved went on to you, and the life that you have is being ingested into me. So tonight, we're just closing with, um, once again, Revelation 3.20. Can you put that up there? Oh, here it is. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, if there's anybody in this room who's never heard the voice of the Lord, he is speaking to you. If, any, if you want to hear his voice, you will hear his voice. If anyone will hear my voice and will open the door of your life, Jesus, here is my life. Come in and be a part of my home, my family, my decisions, my heart, my mind. I want you. Jesus promises I will come in. That's guaranteed. I promise the king of the universe promising that he'll come in and commune with you, have intimacy with you. He offers himself to you. You wonder if anybody cares about your life. You wonder if your life is even to matter at all. Jesus loves you. He invites you into a relationship with him. doesn't matter whether Steve likes you. doesn't matter whether Ashish likes you. What matters is Jesus likes you. And Jesus eagerly looks forward to you being a part of that ultimate Passover feast that Miles called the, the, supper of, the Great Supper of the Lamb. That's coming, and I want you guys to be there. So, um, small group leaders, would you raise your hands? Um, I just want you to see who our small group leaders are. One of our, one of our brothers here last week at the merge just grabbed me after the merge was over and said, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. If you're ready to, ready to surrender your life for Jesus and you, to Jesus and you haven't done that yet, then grab one of these small group leaders or grab me, and we're going to pray with you, and let's set you on a course of intimacy with the king of the universe because he loves you. Okay, guys, let's stand up and let's pray. Father, we, do, we all want to say welcome to our home. Welcome to our lives. Thank you for the plan that you have for us. Thank you that you've called us to be the people who represent you in making preparation for the wedding feast of the Lamb, the, the ultimate Passover that is still in the future. We celebrate what you did when all people bend their knees, kneel before you, and worship you as king. Lord Jesus, we live for that day. Thank you for loving us. 
thank you for what you're doing in us. Would you change us and would you teach us to love you more? We offer ourselves to you, our future to you, our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.